The Way Out Podcast, episode 237. My name is Hope Colleton. I have been clean for 104 days from cocaine and 69 days off having a drink. I also attend Smart Recovery, which is self-management and recovery training. I have had slips along the way, but learning from them has been very important for me. I went to high school with a lot of my friends, um, and after high school is kind of where I went downhill. I met someone that I thought that I would probably spend the rest of my life with, and that just led to four years of active addiction. I was just spending all of my money on cocaine. I was just not myself. I was very mean and I was very vindictive. I didn't care about anything except for chasing that next high. I have a heart condition, so really I had no business doing any of the drugs I was doing. So now I'm just really trying to focus on myself, work on myself, remain abstinent because a lot of people try moderation and mm. for the drug that I was using and on top of that alcohol called suit, mm. I could never do moderation with it. One drink is never one drink and one line of coke is never one line of coke ever. The last time I slipped, I was trying to numb an experience, like a painful experience I was going through. I honestly woke up wanting to take my life. I'm very thankful that I didn't. So I think that that was a huge realization for me too. It's just, I can't have one without the other and I don't want either of them in my life anymore. It was only at that moment when I thought that I destroyed my nose that I was going to stop. So there's 104 days clean out of, it would be 109 total. Right. Because I have had slips along the way, but I'm also trying to focus now more so on the days that I have gained. And that's another thing I really do like about SMART is because you don't lose the days that you've gained. Every time I had to click reset on that clock, I was so let down by myself because it was just a constant reminder of what felt like failure to me. For me, a community was really important. And again, applying those tools, I wasn't using any tools before. I was just, honestly, I was hermiting myself in my basement because I was terrified to go out because I knew what would happen if I did. I knew that that friend, quote unquote, just wanted my money. Yeah. And I really didn't care because it was someone still coming to see me. I caused myself to use a lot more and to drink a lot more during that time period because there was really nothing better to do, I thought. I can also tell you that I was a lot more depressed during that time as well. I didn't have the drive to do anything that I used to enjoy. I've struggled with depression since a young age, depression, anxiety, borderline personality disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's been through the ringer, <laughs> not like using help. Honestly, I'm using every little bit of support that I can get right now. SMART's been really beneficial, again, in the sense of the community. It's really nice having those facilitators like we do because they're all sharing their real experiences. None of them downplay what you've been through. None of them shut you down for any topic or anything like that. One of the main tools is hierarchy of values. I'm realizing what's actually important to me and drinking or drugs has nothing to do with that. Imagine a hula hoop around yourself and no one else is allowed inside of your hula hoop and you can only control your thoughts and your actions. What you can't control is outside of your hula hoop. And that's been one that I've really struggled with because I'm always, I'm very sensitive. I take everything to heart. I take, something could tell me something five years ago and it's still on my mind. It helps me realize that I'm only in control of myself and I can't blame anything that I've been through on anyone else. I can't blame me slipping on anyone else. It's all my, my decisions. And I think that me taking accountability from my own actions was a huge thing in all of this too, because I never did that before. That's another thing too. I've learned just from this whole recovery journey. I just got so sick and tired of being sick and tired. It's unconditional life acceptance, unconditional other acceptance, and unconditional self-acceptance. Now I have a much better relationship with my family. I have much better, healthier friendships. I'm able to focus on my mental health with a clear vision. I'm not getting distorted images. It's just been really great all around. My goal is to be able to give back the way that I was helped. I would like to eventually go and become an addictions counselor or work in a shelter, which I've done, or help homeless youth, like all stuff like that. But 
Mainly, again, I want it to be something co-relating to addiction. I had to put my recovery first so that everything I love in life does not come last. Welcome Way Out faithful and first-timers to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and AllRecoveryRings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's AllRecoveryRings.com. The Way Out podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution. This podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this edition of The Way Out, we have an incredibly brave, honest, and enlightening interview with someone that has recently begun their journey of recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. When this interview was recorded, Hope Colleton had a collective 104 days clean and 69 days sober. And it's important to stress they were not continuous. And that's been an important part of her process as she continues to learn and apply the tools of smart recovery in her daily life. Often, we in the recovery community get very hung up on a clean and sober date, after which point we've remained completely abstinent, and should we slip or relapse, we start all over again with a new date. Like we've lost all of that time in sobriety we just worked so hard to accumulate. Without question, One of the big recovery truths that comes out of Hope's journey to and through recovery to this point is that every day we're clean and sober counts and helps us as we navigate the often non-linear, rocky road to meaningful and enduring recovery. Just as instructive is the truly transformative power that lies in a program of recovery that provides real tools that allow us to make meaningful changes to our thoughts and actions combined with a community of people who are modeling these positive behaviors and indeed show us, just like hope does, that sustained and healthy recovery is indeed possible and without question worth the effort. So listen up. Hope, Collison, thank you so much. For joining us here on the Way Out podcast. I can't thank you enough for taking time to share your story with us. Off the top, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to the Way Out podcast audience? Tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been clean, how long you've been sober, and we'll get started. Hi, everyone. My name is Hope Colleton. I am from Ontario, Canada. Um, I have been clean for 104 days from cocaine and 69 days off having a drink. I also attend Smart Recovery, which is self-management and recovery training. 
I have been attending that since October and I have been working on myself since October as well. And only as of those 104 days have I actually been able to maintain my sobriety. I have had slips along the way, but learning from them has been very important for me. We've had a number of other folks that have been on the podcast that have recovered via smart recovery as their primary recovery pathway. And I'm a huge fan of it for a lot of different reasons. And we're going to get into that because I think one of the biggest pluses, one of the biggest takeaways from smart recovery is all of the tools that we get to learn along the way when when we're uh, moving along the smart recovery pathway. Hope, before we get there, tell us a little bit about what it was like for you growing up. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up near where you're at now in Canada? So tell us a little bit about that, and uh, we'll uh, we'll dig into your story a little bit. I grew up in Ontario, Canada. I went to high school with a lot of my friends. Um, and after high school is kind of where I went downhill. I met someone that I thought that I would probably spend the rest of my life with. And that just led to four years of active addiction. Um, a lot of people, when I was going through my active addiction, they said that they didn't even know me. And it was true because I was just spending all of my money on cocaine. I was just not myself. I was very mean and I was very vindictive. I didn't care about anything except for chasing that next high. Um, and I think that I hung out with some pretty shady people. And I think that now I have people in my life that support me, whether that be people, honestly, from smart recovery as well. I've connected with some people offline. I have people in my life from years ago that I've only now just recently started reconnecting with because they did not want to hang out with me when I was actively using. And honestly, I don't blame them. Um, I have spent a lot of time now, though, working on myself. I've been off of work for a while. I have a heart condition. So really, I had no business doing any of the drugs <laughs> I was doing. Um but I have a heart condition. And so I've been off of work for a while and really just focusing on myself because all I was actively using in those four years, I really did want to be clean, but I just didn't have it in me and I could not get away from those people. So now I'm just really trying to focus on myself, work on myself, remain abstinent because a lot of people try moderation and mm. for the drug that I was using and on top of that alcohol followed suit, mm. I could never do moderation with it. Tell me how old you are today. 25. 25 years young, which one of the things that you alluded to right off the top was you're 104 days clean from cocaine, but 69 days off of alcohol. And so tell me a little bit about that. Was there a realization along the way, right? Or was this just sort of part of your process? Why are we 104 days off of cocaine and 69 days off of alcohol? I think that for me, it was, I was never really a big drinker, but every time that I would use, I would drink and mm. drink and drink. And then I was never really counting the days for alcohol before. So mm -hmm. I just started counting them. I guess I started counting them 69 days ago. But mm -hmm. I think for me, it was also just I realized that if I drank and I would get too drunk, then I would need something to balance me out. And I didn't want to do that anymore either. And I really don't like who I am when I drink either. I can be very, very rude. And so it was just kind of a domino effect there with everything because I realized that one drink is never one drink and one line of Coke is never one line of Coke ever. So I really had to be mindful of that and just realize that, you know, what's beneficial here for me, is it to stop completely or is it to just, you know, pick up a drink every once in a while and then know that I'm going to be craving because for me, the last 
time I slipped, I was trying to numb an experience, like a painful experience I was going through. And I just woke up feeling like absolute garbage the next day. I honestly woke up wanting to take my life. I'm very thankful that I didn't. But all of the depression added onto me using the previous night. So I think that that was a huge realization for me too. It's just, I can't have one without the other and I don't want either of them in my life anymore. So you discovered after becoming absent and clean from cocaine that alcohol and cocaine were sort of joined at the hip for you. Yes. In that in order really to stay clean, that also that requires sobriety from alcohol as well. Yes, absolutely. But you wouldn't have known that until you went through that journey and that progression, right? Exactly. And I don't think I would have learned that until. So I've had six lapses along the way. I don't think I would have learned that until I experienced those because each time was a learning experience. And to be quite honest with you, I only speak to one of those people nowadays that I lapsed with. Everyone else, I've cut out, I've made huge life changes in the sense that I've had to cut out so many people from my life because I know that, say, if I see one person, I know that I'm going to end up using. And say, if I see another, I know that we don't have to do that to have fun. But I also got to the point where I don't want to be around those people that have to be high to have fun or have to be drunk to have fun because I'm perfectly fine going for a walk. I'm perfectly fine going for a drive or doing anything. But when I was around those people, I was very destructive and I was really reckless and I really just didn't care about anything. Do you remember, Hope, the first time that you used your drug of choice and how that experience was for you? Was that a memorable experience for you? Honestly, I was selling it at first mm. and I... This is like wait, you were selling it before you were before you were using it? Yes. And I was short lived. So I sold it for two weeks and then I just decided. All right. So I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. How old are you when you're starting? So you're selling. Oh, um I I guess 20. So you start selling cocaine at the age of 20. Yep. Uh what prompts you to get into the cocaine business at the age of 20? I got Honestly, I was hanging out with really bad people. Yeah, okay. okay. And so when I was selling it, I am like, I'm terrified of anything to do with going to jail or anything like that. So I was laughing at myself all the time because when I would go make the deals, I would be terrified. And so I only lasted about two weeks doing that. And then I <laughs> you were scared out of your mind. I was. Yeah. And I ended up going to the person that I was selling for. And I said, listen, I can't do this. And it was mainly because. I hated being that person that was allowing people to chase their next high. I hated myself for that. Um, Knowing that you were helping people feed their addictions. Exactly. And so I actually, four years ago, oh no, I think I was 21 actually when I started selling it because it was four years of active addiction. And so four years ago, I was with, someone in my past. And I just said, I really don't understand what the big deal is about this. And then he goes, well, you can try it. So I tried it. And then the next day I tried it again. And then it basically, I basically realized that, oh, this one is different. This one's stronger than the last one. And I wasn't using regularly. I wasn't using every single day until about a year into it and I was spending all of my money on cocaine. And if I didn't have cocaine, it was just, I was so mean. Did you like how you felt when you were on cocaine? Did you enjoy that experience? Like when you first, when you first got high, was that a Nirvana like experience for you? First? Yes. But throughout the years, I just realized that as I started to use more and more, I would obviously have to chase a bigger high mm -hmm. and I would always end up feeling like super paranoid, super sketchy. And it was just, I didn't like how it made me feel in the end of it because I would honestly get scared. And with my heart condition too, my heart was racing. So I was terrified that I was going to have um, like a heart attack or something like that. And for me as well, I went to my doctor's I guess this would have been the second last lapse that I had, but I went to my doctor's. I sent him photos because with COVID, he's not doing in-person visits mm. unless it's necessary. 
So I sent him photos of the inside of my nose and he goes, well, you have to come in. And I was terrified that I deviated my septum. And so I went in and the day that he told me that I didn't, I was on cloud nine again, basically. And I'd only had one, I only had one lapse after that, but that was the lapse I was saying that just made me realize it's not doing me any good. But it was only at that moment when I thought that I destroyed my nose that I was going to stop. And then I also just realized that it's not something that I want to be doing. I know people that are still doing it like in their fifties and their sixties. And I'm like, no, like I need to cut that out right now because I want to have a good life for myself. I want to be able to say, you know, I'm not spending all of my money on drugs again. And it's just, it was a very real experience that I had because I was up close and personal with a lot of people that were way worse than me. And I'm not comparing my story to anyone else's, Mm. but I mean, they would use a lot more than me. And then I in turn would use a lot more with them. And I did lose a lot of friendships along the way, but some of them I'm very grateful that I lost. When is the first time that you tried to quit or did you, did you try to moderate before you quit? Yes. Okay. And how did that go? And what did you try in order? And why did you try to moderate? Was there something that did you have some sort of realization that that occurred to you that, you know, I'm going to try to moderate this thing? I think that for me, I tried to moderate because I was spending all of my money on it. But at that point in time, when I was trying to moderate, I was hanging around with a bunch of people that were constantly bringing it around. I did stop. Um, I did try to stop. I stopped for two weeks back in December, just before Christmas, because I went to spend Christmas at my mom's. And the second I got back from my mom's, I ended up meeting with someone from my past and I used that day. So I just realized that moderation especially for that drug of choice is not an option because one is never enough. Mm -hmm. And also at the same point in time, for me, especially in my experience, it was all kind of who I associated with because when I wasn't around certain people, I never craved it. I never wanted it. It was always just certain people would bring it out of me. And then I felt like if I wasn't using, I was missing out on something. But every time that I did use, I would wake up just feeling like absolute garbage. So realizing that I only missed out on this crappy feeling. So how long ago did you start trying to quit entirely? I would say New Year's because so New Year's, I was lucky because like I said, I've only been on Smart since October and they have a New Year's Eve around the world meeting. Mm. So it starts at a certain time and it ends. So everyone was messaging me saying, what are you doing for New Year's? What are you doing for New Year's? What are you doing for New Year's? And I made the point of staying home and attending all of those meetings every hour of that day. And it was draining, but at the same point in time, it was so much better than going out and getting high or getting drunk just for the purpose of New Year's. So I'd say then, but like I said, so since, since those 104 days, I have had So there's 104 days clean out of, it would be 109 total right? because I have had slips along the way, but I'm also trying to focus now more so on the days that I have gained. And that's another thing I really do like about smart is because you don't lose the days that you've gained. These are the clean days that I've accumulated and I don't have to start all over. Absolutely. Because I think that every time I, did start over. I was using the app. I am sober. Every time I had to click reset on that clock, I was so let down by myself because it was just a constant reminder of what felt like failure to me when I have, I do have an addictions counselor. And so that's through adapt here in Canada. But she was also saying to me that every time I am slipping, I'm doing research. And that was also really important to me as well, because It's true. Every time I did slip, I realized and I was doing research about why I don't ever want to do it again. (laughs) You know, that's an old 12 step saying that when somebody goes back out, that they're doing some field research to determine if, in fact, they can drink like a gentleman or a gentle (laughs) lady. Right. 
and you know, I've done plenty of field research yeah, in same my here. own <laughs> journey to recovery. And so I have a substantial amount of evidence I've collected over the years to support yep. the fact that no, I cannot drink like a gentleman. Uh, well, fact. that's just the thing. I just, no matter how many times I tried to just moderate or just go up for one drink, one was never one, like mm. I said. And it's just the more and more that I was slipping, the more and more downhill I was going as I was slipping because I was still chasing that same high that I was getting before when I was using quite often. But then again, when I was trying to chase that high, I hadn't used in so many days. So my heart was racing. I was super paranoid. Again, I just didn't like the feeling that it gave me. It was starting to turn on you. Yes. Big time. Through those stretches that you were clean per se, but not working an active recovery program. What was that like for you? Was that a was that difficult to maintain your clean time without working an active program of recovery? Absolutely. I think that for me, one of the main things is that I don't really have too many people in my day to day life that have experienced this. So I think that for me, having people that know what you're going through. We might not all have the same drug of choice, but we all still have the same feelings towards it. And we all still have the same kind of experiences. So I think that for me, a community was really important. And mm. again, applying those tools, I wasn't using any tools before. I was just, honestly, I was hermiting myself in my basement because I was terrified to go out because I knew what would happen if I did. Mm. And isolation is not a good thing for us when we are attempting to enter recovery from drugs or alcohol. And you mentioned community. Hope, what is the first time you really believed and really thought it was possible that you could be clean and sober? Honestly, I think that for me, it was... So when I joined SMART, I was in the background at all times and I had connected with someone through the SMART website and I just said, I have a topic tonight, but I don't want to be the one to discuss it. He ended up bringing up the topic for me. This was probably the end of October, but he ended up bringing up the topic and then I jumped on the microphone, which was terrifying for me. And I put <laughs> my video on, which I don't do. <laughs> so I was honestly blown away by the fact that I did that, but that sense of community right there and the support was substantial. And that was what I needed right then and there. And it was actually my first topic that I ever brought up in a meeting was having people that came to my house that did not respect my boundaries. They would always bring cocaine here. Hmm. And it was honestly really scary to bring it up. And most people were saying, Oh, we'll get new friends, this and that. But at the same point in time, at that point for me, I really had no other friends. I cut out a lot of people when I was using because I was just so set on getting high all of the time. And then I'm lucky that I still have friends now from elementary school, from high school that have stuck by my side and they see the good in me throughout all of this because they see how hard I'm working now. What a great experience to be able to introduce a topic like that that's really relevant to what you're currently experiencing and getting just a whole bunch of experience strength and hope around that and more than that people that understand and that have been there absolutely and i think that that was the other thing because a lot of people that i knew from my younger years that I still connect with now, thank God that they've allowed me back in their lives. But I think that for them, it was really hard for them to understand why it was so hard for me to cut them out of my life. Because all of them, again, they were just saying, well, just cut them out or whatever. But also, I realized throughout the process that I had a lot of using friends. So in that sense, I mean, friends that I just used to use with, and we would always just get together and get higher drunk, whatever. But it was also very hard because my healthy friends obviously had their own lives going on. So I would refer back to the people that were unhealthy and that I would use with because I couldn't see those healthy friends all of the time. And I feel very bad now admitting that because I know it's been true for a while, but 
like I said, I am very lucky that they have allowed me back into their life because I was awful. I remember my best friend at one point, this would probably been the first year that I was using, but she came over and I was living with my mom in her basement apartment at that point in time. And she came over and I was so high still from the night before. And I just fell asleep on her and she just said, Hope, are you, like, are we going to hang out or not? And I said, fuck off. Mm. I just told her to fuck off. And I was so mean. And then I woke up and I realized what I did because I think that also there was times where I thought I was sleeping, but I was really awake. And that also really messed with my head. And I remember there was one time I had been going for two days straight and I was at this guy's house. Don't even remember how I got there, honestly. Like I said, really reckless decisions. And then all of a sudden I started looking over across the walls and there's bugs all over them, but they weren't actually there. So it was literally just my paranoia. And then I was terrified because going home, I was in an Uber and I'm high and I'm sketched out. And it was just the situations I just used to put myself and other people in were honestly just disgusting and really scary. Those are those boundaries that we tell ourselves that we're not going to cross, that we end up crossing because we're unable to control ourselves once we take one. Absolutely. And I heard somebody once say in a recovery meeting that they knew they had a real problem when they couldn't lower their standards quickly enough to justify their behavior. Yeah, I agree with that too, because I think for me too, I knew I was acting out. I knew I wasn't being a nice person, but I did not care one bit. All I cared about was that high, that high, that high. And I actually, I put my mom through hell and back when I lived with her because all I cared about was using I would sneak out of the house late at night to go grab and then I would come back in and I got kicked out from living with her. I was in a shelter for five months and I thought that when I was in the shelter, I would be clean. But then I met some people where I was living um, in the shelter and not living in the shelter, but in that town where I was living. And it's just really crazy to me now to look back on how many people actually use. Mm. And that's the scary thing to you now. And there's been plenty of overdoses in my area now, and it's really scary. And I actually found out about an overdose and then found out kind of what happened there. And I still had that last lapse, which to me in my head, I was like, what am I thinking? Like, you know, I just hear about this stuff that this person's gone through and the family's gone through and stuff like that. And here I am still doing it. Mm. You mentioned hope that there's a lot of that going around in your community. It's epidemic here in the United States. It's certainly epidemic where you're at in Canada. And the pandemic has certainly exacerbated both drug and alcohol use in a way that's now rearing its ugly head and has been for some time in terms of overdoses. And even knowing all that, once we have one, all bets are off, right? Absolutely. And I think that also, too, for me, last year in March, I went to Turks and Caicos with my mom's boyfriend and all of my, well, most of my family and stuff like that. But we came back right when the pandemic, when the shutdown was starting here. So the only things really open were liquor stores, beer stores, convenience stores, grocery stores. And that was pretty much it. Mm. I ended up asking one of my, who I thought was one of my friends rather, to go to the Liquor Control Board of Ontario for me. And he ended up putting a bag in mm. my LCBO bag. Mm. So I knew right then and there that I was going to be screwed the entire time that I was in isolation. And to be honest with you, I was spending roughly $100 a day on cocaine. Mm. And I was doing that by myself in my room upstairs before I moved into the basement of this house. But mm. it was just, I was hitting a whole new low and I knew that that friend quote unquote just wanted my money. Yeah, And I really didn't care because it was someone still coming to see me when I was in that isolation. And I think that for me, especially the pandemic caused me 
I would say not the pandemic, but I caused myself to use a lot more and to drink a lot more during that time period because there was really nothing better to do. I thought Mm -hmm. I didn't think about bettering myself during that time, but I can also tell you that I was a lot more depressed during that time as well. I didn't have the drive to do anything that I used to enjoy. I didn't want to see healthy people. I did not want to see my family for fear that they would know that I was using when obviously they did. My family's very in tune with me and they know that if I'm backing away for a bit or if I'm shutting them down or if I'm being really, really rude, that chances are that I've used. Mm. You're certainly not alone in folks that have increased their use over the pandemic. And it's not a surprise why that has been occurring in greater and greater numbers. You mentioned a couple of times depression. Is that something, Hope, that you have struggled with as well? Yes. So I've struggled with depression since a young age. And then now it's, this isn't because of my using, but just because of my past as well, but depression, anxiety, borderline personality disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. So it's been through the ringer. Yeah. <laughs> and not like using helped. Right. And that is very much like pouring gasoline on these things. I can very much relate with trauma and PTSD and anxiety and depression are very much part of my journey coming into recovery. Then are you also addressing those pieces as well as your uh, addiction and alcoholism? Yes. So I think also in meetings now we're being more open about mental health where Mm. I think for a while it was such a taboo topic as well, but For me, I also have a psychiatrist. I have an addictions counselor. um, And I just, honestly, I'm using every little bit of support that I can get right now. And before I had um, a sexual abuse counselor as well. And when I was going through that, it's funny because she had known about all of my other counselors. And then out of nowhere, one day she just said, well, maybe you should just pick one. And I didn't like that one bit. So I ended up (laughs) stopping that counseling because for me, it's you get a different insight from every single person that you talk to. No one's the same. Mm. And I think that for me, it was also imperative that I had different opinions addressing different things to me because some person's point of view is different than the others. But I think it was really important as well for me to tackle everything head on at once and deal with my mental health issues as well. In a holistic fashion, right? Yes. Instead of sort of compartmentalizing, certainly something I realized is that I couldn't just address my trauma and nothing else because I wasn't able to really, really meaningfully address my trauma if I was pouring alcohol and and drugs all over it. Well, I think that that's the other thing for me as well. It's like I said earlier, I was trying to numb everything mm-hmm. that I was going through. And every time I would numb it or think that I was numbing it, I would feel it 10 times worse mm. that same day or the next day. And it was just a domino effect. And honestly, it was terrifying for me that last lapse I had and feeling like the next morning I want to take my life. Mm. It sounds like that was very much a reckoning for you. Yes. And coming out of that experience, help. Tell me what the smart recovery experience has been for you and what it's done for you and what tools you're starting to apply on a daily basis that is benefiting you. I think that for me, smart's been really beneficial, again, in the sense of the community. That's been very important. It's also it's really nice having those facilitators like we do because they're all sharing their real experiences. Mm -hmm. None of them downplay what you've been through. None of them shut you down for any topic or anything like that. Um, I think that that's really important for me. I think a tool. So one of the main tools is hierarchy of values. 
So when I was actively using, I can tell you right now that my, my own health, nothing like that made it onto my values. And so now it's, I'm realizing what's actually important to me and drinking or drugs has nothing to do with that. And I think that for me, another one is, so imagine a hula hoop around yourself and no one else is allowed inside of hula hoop and you can only control your thoughts and your actions. What you can't control is outside of your hula hoop. And that's been one that I've really struggled with because I'm always, I'm very sensitive. I take everything to heart. I take something could tell me something five years ago and it's still on my mind. <laughs> but I think that that one's really important for me as well, because it helps me realize that I'm only in control of myself and I can't blame anything that I've been through on anyone else. I can't blame me slipping on anyone else. It's all my, my decisions. And I think that me taking accountability for my own actions was a huge thing in all of this too, because I never did that before. And I love that. I want to break some of this stuff down because I think this stuff is super, super instructive and helpful for all of us in recovery, regardless of the pathway that we are on. First things first, that hierarchy of values and really putting down on paper what's important and what's not, and then recognizing and aligning actions and behavior and choices with those values makes a big difference in yes. terms and it really starts to put into perspective how important our daily decisions are and are they in alignment with our hierarchy of values. Exactly. And I know firsthand when I was using, like I said, I did not care about anything except for chasing that next high. But now it's I look down at the things I've written, which are my family, my health, my friendships, mainly the first one, though, is my recovery, mm. because I think that that's extremely important. I know plenty of people that don't have their recovery on there. But for me, I have to look down and actually see that that tops everything in my life right now. I could be fighting with someone. I could be going through a breakup. I don't care. My recovery is the main thing that I'm focused on. I'm a big believer in that, too, because if I'm not sober, then I don't, then I'll chase the rest of it out. Exactly. That's the bottom line. I'll chase everything else that's important to me out of my life if I'm not sober. So that's exactly. number one for me. And I did the same thing too. When I was using, I made a point of driving everyone out of mm -hmm. my life and I liked doing it. Yeah. I was so sick. And that's another thing too. I've learned just from this whole recovery journey. I just got so sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm. I love the stay inside your own hula hoop. Okay. For those of us who work the 12 steps, that's very much the serenity prayer, which yes. is I can only control my own thoughts. And that's on a good day. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I can't control those little <laughs> Let's be real clear. Okay. Yeah. Same here. Uh, my my actions and my behavior, right? And and how I respond to other people's actions. So I can control on a good day, I can control my thoughts. Yep. My actions and how I respond to other people's actions. The rest of it's completely out of my control. And I once heard somebody say what somebody else thinks of me is none of my business. Yep. I like that one. I've heard that one too. And that is a tremendously freeing thought. Like I don't have to, Absolutely. I don't have to care about that. Yep. Right? And I think that that's another thing that was really hard for me. It's just, I was so stuck on, honestly, at the beginning of my recovery journey, I was so stuck on caring like, Oh, what if so-and-so says I'm still using, what if mm. so-and-so says I'm still messed up? At the end of the day, I really don't give a shit what people want to say because I know my truth now. I think at first I was getting so offended because I actually wasn't applying the tools that I had learned. I just, I was honestly just trying to white knuckle it. I really did not care about applying the tools. And now the fact that I'm actually applying the tools, it's made a world of a difference. And I think that another one is really interesting is there's three acceptances and so it's unconditional life acceptance, unconditional other acceptance, and unconditional self-acceptance. Nah. 
And we tackle those a lot in the meetings because I think that it's really hard at the end of the day. I know even still with 104 days under my belt, I get very frustrated really easily with myself. I get frustrated with others and it's just, you know, working through that stuff and figuring out kind of why. And I think a lot of people do struggle with it in early recovery. And I think people do struggle with it years down the road because it's genuinely hard. But I think that the more I work through that and kind of work out my own inner issues, that the more just genuine I'm going to be. I think that for me as well, I look at it like unconditional other acceptance. I look at the fact that before I went through any of this, I was probably the most judgmental, mean person. I would make fun of everyone. And now it's, I understand what people have gone through. And I just, I honestly think that the stigma behind addiction is just, it's really shitty because so many people think that we're bad people, think that all these negative things about us, and it's not true in the slightest. We all have a story. We all have reasons why we did what we did. What matters is what we learn from them and what we experience in the end of it. So I think that that stigma behind it. Like I was explaining earlier, some people don't know about my past, which is kind of why I wanted to do this in the first place. But I think that it's really important that people can feel like they can be open about their story without feeling like they're going to be just torn down for it. It's a tremendously empowering and freeing experience to fully embrace our past and our recovery. I am a huge advocate of recovering out loud and showing people what recovery looks like. Absolutely. I think that it's really important too, because a lot of people, they only see the bad side of it. They only see you going through it. They don't see you come out on the other side. That's right. And when we come out the other side and we embrace it and we are out loud with our recovery. And when we are earnestly trying to be the best example of recovery we can be on a daily basis, not only does it smash stigma, but it also shows other people that it's possible. Absolutely. That has been one of the greatest gifts of my own recovery is knowing that it's spoke to other people and they too have recovered because my higher power has seen fit that my recovery story spoke to folks and they too got better. And then now their story is speaking to other people. Which is awesome. I love that because I think that so many people get scared like for judgment or for, you know, possibly losing a job interview or losing job, whatever in the future. And I just, I think it's really important to be open and honest about your past because realistically at the end of the day, your past has shaped you into the person that you are today. I would not be who I am today had I not gone through those four years. And I'm kind of an all in or all out kind of person. I don't know if you can relate to that, Hope. Yes. <laughs> so when I really, truly decided that I needed to do whatever it took to get better. I was all in. Yep. Right. Absolutely. So, I think for me, too, like I said, with the slips, it's just it happened. But at the end of the day, it's research. And I realized that that's not something I need to turn to. And that's not something I never want to feel the way that I did the day after again. And that is the ultimate, I think, in that turning point. I never, ever want to feel that way again. And that's exactly the same way I felt prior to entering recovery six plus years ago in a way that I'd never had before. I had multiple attempts before, but they were half-hearted and wasn't really in it. I never wanted to feel that way ever again. 
Tell me what life is like now in sobriety. Honestly, now I have a much better relationship with my family. I have much better, healthier friendships. I'm able to focus on my mental health with a clear vision. I'm not getting distorted images. I think that it's just been really great all around because now it's, I have a clear head. I'm able to focus on the things that I need to focus on. Also, like my goal for my future is to go to school for social service worker, which I can work with any age group in that program. But my goal is to be able to give back the way that I was helped. I would like to eventually go and become an addictions counselor or work in a shelter, which I've done or help homeless youth, like all stuff like that. But mainly, again, I want it to be something co-relating to addiction, because I think that so many people are either scared of working in that field or they don't know how to handle it. But I think that once you've lived it and you've been through it and you've come out on the other side, I mean, I'm still early on, but that's my goal for my future because I do want to help the way that I was helped. I want someone else to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like I was able to. That's a tremendous goal. And having the experience of addiction and then subsequent recovery can be a really, really powerful tool as either social worker or addictions counselor for sure. In fact, when I first got back into recovery and got sober six plus years ago, there was a number of counselors in our treatment center and I was fortunate enough to be aligned with one that was also in recovery and and it made a big difference. There was other counselors there that were not in recovery and nothing against. I think that's, I think that's super admirable. It just, for me made all the difference to relate to somebody that had been through it. Right. Exactly. And that's for me too, with the counselors I've had, I've been lucky that I have had one that honestly, our stories are exactly the same, Mm. which to me makes the world of a difference because it's someone that knows what you're going through. They have years of experience of coming out on the other side and they're still helping other people, Yeah, which I think is awesome too. But I agree in the sense that for me, it was better having someone that's been through it too, because not that I felt judged or anything like that, but for me, it was just nicer to be understood. And that's why I felt like I could open up more and be fully honest about my past. Absolutely. One of the tools that you mentioned that I really, really love is that radical acceptance in 12 step pathway. We talk about the acceptance prayer all the time, right? And that is really the analog to the three phase acceptance that you spoke of in smart recovery. And it's this radical acceptance that unless I accept life as it is today, I'm not going to be able to make any meaningful progress on anything. And prior to getting in recovery, I didn't accept my alcoholism. I didn't accept my, in fact, I hated it. I I wanted, I, I, I was, I was mad at it, like resentful at it. Right. Because I didn't want to be, an addict. I didn't want to be an alcoholic. Right. And so I like drank at it. And that's just the weirdest thing ever. Right. To like drink at your own alcoholism and drink and and, and use at your own addiction. But only I think an addict and an alcoholic could really understand that. I agree. I think that for me, too, it was just using at my own addiction. And it was just (laughs) all of these things. It was just I knew that I was only hurting myself in the process. And I think that the more and more people brought up the fact that I had a problem, I would want to go ahead and hurt them in the process. And I Mm -hmm. would say, oh, I'll show you. Or I would end up showing myself and only hurting myself in the process or destroying every relationship that I had. But it was so just not 
normal (laughs) what I was doing. And it was just, I knew what I was doing, but I just couldn't stop it. Well, again, only an alcoholic or an addict can relate to the experience of drinking at people to get them back. Like, I'll show you. Absolutely. I'll get super, super annihilated and then be really ashamed and do a lot of weird, stupid stuff that I'm going to be really, really ashamed of. I'll I'll show you. Right. (laughs) Exactly. And that was for me, too. When I was using, I was so when I was using and when I was drinking and I was seeing one specific person from my past. I would turn into a psycho (laughs) and I did not even know myself. I remember there was one time I woke up, I looked down at my call log. There was 30 phone calls to that person. (laughs) And I was like, (gasps) and I honestly wanted to change my number. I wanted to move, but it was all stuff that I was doing while I was using. But these are legitimate thoughts after is that we think maybe I can change my number, my name. Absolutely. Move. Maybe I can go into a protection program just to get me out of yeah. here. Is there is there a protection program in these situations? Because if there is, I'm interested. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's how I felt, too. But now it's like, you know, don't get me wrong. I still go psycho some days, but <laughs> I can control it. And it's not like I'm. I think that now it's I realize more, whereas before I just really I didn't care. I would just literally unleash and it was on anyone at any given time. And it was scary because I didn't even know myself. And honestly, when I was really into actually using my dad is my best friend. And he looked at me at one point and he said, I don't even know who you are anymore. Mm-hmm. And that broke my freaking heart. And so many of my friends too said the same thing. But I think that it was just I was turmoil to myself and everyone around me. And like I said earlier, domino effect. If I was going down, I was taking down everyone with me. Before we close, share with us the most important, the most impactful thing you heard coming into recovery a hundred and six days ago that made a big difference for you in your own recovery? Hmm. I know that there is one quote, but I can't put my, I can't put my finger on it right now, but, oh, I had to put my recovery first so that everything I love in life does not come last. I love that. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And then tell me a little bit about your daily recovery routine. What does that look like? What do you do on a daily basis that supports your recovery? For me, um, I attend meetings very regularly. And I also, Smart has a workbook, so I work on that and the tools. I also connect with people that are in recovery. Honestly, I speak to some people in recovery more than I do the people I see on a daily basis. Not that I don't appreciate my other friends, but they understand what I'm going through more and they are very helpful at giving insight and stuff like that. I also go through the Smart Recovery Workbook quite often and just pick out some tools if I am having a rough day to work on and then exercising. Mm. eating healthy, which Mm. is really important because before, let me tell you, I did not care about what was going in my body. I didn't care anything like that. But I think that now it's just, I feel a lot more free. I don't feel as weighed down as I did. I don't feel as depressed as I did because I'm actually working on myself and working on a better me. That overall wellness that you're starting to integrate and have begun integrating into your daily routine is such an important thing in terms of physical wellness, emotional wellness, right? And, um, you know, mental wellness, all of those, if we talk about, you know, um, uh, our wellness journeys, those things are really important, aren't they? Absolutely. And I think that before I never really realized how important they were because when I was actively using, 
everything around me was going downhill and I did not care. But nowadays I realize how detrimental it is to have all those ducks in a row in a row. And when one suffers, it certainly impacts others as well, right? Absolutely. They all go downhill. And we're now starting to be in a situation where we're engaging in these positive behaviors that are starting to have a positive feedback loop, right? Yes. Because they're building self-esteem and they're building wellness and stability rather than this counterproductive feedback loop with shame and regret and going down that other way. So just like, you know, when we had that negative feedback loop going on with these really negative behaviors that compounded themselves now we're starting to compound in positive ways exactly and i think that that's something that i was never used to before because i was always so negative and now it's just again like i can see a better life for myself i can see a better future for myself for those around me as well because i'm not that same negative person i'm not that same quite literally user i just used everyone for everything and it was just not me and it's now it's just refreshing because I can look back and talk about these things openly and look back and see the changes. And I'm not one to accept compliments, but there was one facilitator from smart and he did say I've made big improvements since the day that he met me to now, which was huge for me. So that to me was just like, Oh, wow, I'm actually improving. Often others will see it. Yes. Before we do. Right. And then we can look at ourselves and say, I have come a long way. Exactly. And I think that that for me, when I finally got to that point of realizing, wow, I have come very far. It was just like, just that sense of happiness and the sense of being full inside again, because I was empty for a long, long time. And having a community around you that supports you and loves on your recovery journey and that you can connect to and relate to so powerful. Yes, it really is. Because I think that without them, I don't know that I'd be where I am honestly without them. Not that smart. The good thing with smart too, is that you apply the tools yourself. You do the work yourself, but just everything else that comes with it is great. So the community is great. I've, I can honestly say I have about three best friends from SMART that I've never met, probably will never meet, but I speak to them on a daily basis. And honestly, I wouldn't change that for the world. And that's really, really tremendous to be able to tap into a community like that and know that that's available to you on a regular basis so long as we continue to be willing to do whatever it takes in order to stay clean and sober today. Hope, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. (laughs) What a tremendous name for somebody in recovery. I just have to say that. Thanks, my parents gave it to me. (laughs) That's what I always say. But no, seriously, thank you very much. This has been very wonderful. This has been equally as enjoyable on my end. And I am in love with the fact that your accent is probably just a little thicker than mine. (laughs) So that doesn't happen very often here on the Way Out podcast. I figured as much. (laughs) Hope. So I'm very grateful for that. as well. well thank you for having me i really appreciate it if any of you want to reach out to hope and thank her for sharing her experience strength and hope with us email the show at share at wayoutcast.com and i will be sure to pass that message on to hope and thank you everybody out there in way out podcast land we will talk to you 
next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.